0: Disc 4 When the Jedi was out of sight, he picked up the part again. Anakin Skywalker could not take his eyes off the girl. He noticed her the moment he entered Watto's shop, even before Watto said anything, and he hadn't been able to stop looking at her since. He barely heard what Watto said to him about watching the shop. He barely noticed the strange-looking creature that had come in with her, and was poking around in the shelves and bins. Even after she noticed he was staring at her, he could not help himself. He moved now to an open space on the counter, hoisted himself up, and sat watching her while pretending to clean a transmitter cell. She was looking back at him now, embarrassment turning to curiosity. She was small and slender, with long braided brown hair, brown eyes, and a face he found so beautiful that he had nothing to which he could compare it. She was dressed in rough peasant's clothing, but she seemed very self-possessed. She gave him an amused smile, and he felt himself melting in confusion and wonder. He took a deep breath. ''Are you an angel?'' he asked quietly. The girl stared. ''What?'' ''An angel?'' "'Anakin straightened a bit. "'They live on the moons of Iago, I think. "'They are the most beautiful creatures in the universe. "'They are good and kind, "'and so pretty they make even the most hardened space pirates "'cry like small children.' "'She gave him a confused look. "'I've never heard of angels,' she said. "'You must be one of them,' Anakin insisted. "'Maybe you just don't know it.' "'You're a funny little boy.' The amused smile returned. How do you know so much? Anakin smiled back and shrugged. I listen to all the traders and pilots who come through here. He glanced toward the salvage yard. I'm a pilot, you know. Some day I'm going to fly away from this place. The girl wandered to one end of the counter, looked away, then back again. Have you been here long? Since I was very little. Three, I think. My mom and I were sold to Gardula the Hut, but she lost us to Watto, betting on the pod races. Watto's a lot better master, I think. She stared at him in shock. You're a slave? The way she said it made Anakin feel ashamed and angry. He glared at her defiantly. I am a person. I'm sorry, she said quickly, looking upset and embarrassed. I, I don't fully understand, I guess... This is a strange world to me. He studied her intently for a moment, thinking of other things, wanting to tell her of them. ''You are a strange girl to me,'' he said instead. He swung his legs out from the counter. ''My name is Anakin Skywalker,'' she brushed at her hair. ''Padme Nayberry.'' The strange creature she had come in with wandered back to the front of the shop and bent over a stout little droid body with a bulbous nose. Reaching up curiously, it pushed at the nose with one finger. Instantly, armatures popped out from every direction, metal limbs swinging into place. The droid's motors whizzed and whirred, and it jerked to life and began moving forward. Padme's odd companion went after it with a moan of dismay, grabbing on in an effort to slow it down, but the droid continued marching through the shop, knocking over everything it came in contact with. Hit the nose, Anakin called out, unable to keep himself from laughing. The creature did as it was told, pounding the droid's nose wildly. The droid stopped at once, the arms and legs retracted, the motor shut down, and the droid went still. Both Anakin and Padme were laughing now, and their laughter increased as they saw the look on the unfortunate creature's long-billed face. Anakin looked at Padme and the girl at him. Their laughter died away. The girl reached up to touch her hair self-consciously, but she did not divert her gaze. I'm going to marry you, the boy said suddenly. There was a moment of silence, and she began laughing again, a sweet musical sound he didn't mind at all. The creature who accompanied her rolled his eyes. I mean it, he insisted. You are an odd one, she said, her laughter dying away why do you say that he hesitated I guess because it's what I believe her smile was dazzling well I'm afraid I can't marry you she paused searching her memory for his name Anakin he said Anakin she cocked her head you're just a little boy his gaze was intense as he faced her ''I won't always be,'' he said quietly. ''In the salvage yard, Watto was studying the screen of a portable memory bank he held in one hand, tracing through his inventory record. Qui-Gon, arms folded into his farmer's poncho, stood waiting patiently, the R2 unit at his side. ''Ah, here it is! A T-14 hyperdrive generator!'' The Toydarian's wings beat wildly as he hovered before the Jedi, his gnarled finger jabbing at the viewscreen. "'You're in luck. I'm the only one hereabouts who has one. "'But you might as well buy a new ship. It would be cheaper. "'Speaking of which, how are you going to pay for all this, farmer?' Qui-Gon considered. "'I have twenty thousand Republic Tataris to put toward Republic credits!' Watto exploded in disgust. Republic credits are no good out here. I need something better than that, something of value. The Jedi Master shook his head. I don't have anything else. One hand came up, passing casually in front of the Toydarian's face. But credits will do fine. No, they won't, Watto snapped, buzzing angrily. Qui-Gon frowned, then passed his hand in front of the pudgy blue alien again, bringing the full force of his Jedi suggestive power to bear. ''Credits will do fine,'' he repeated. Wado sneered. ''No, they won't,'' he repeated. ''What do you think you you doing, waving your hand around like that? You think you're some kind of Jedi? Ha! Ah, I'm a Toydarian!'' Mine tricks don't work on me. Only money. No money, no parts, no deal. And no one else has a T-14 hyperdrive generator, I can promise you that. Chagrined, Qui-Gon wheeled back for the shop, the R2 unit following at his heels. The Toydarian shouted after them to come back when they had something worthwhile to trade, still scolding the Jedi Master for trying to foist Republic credits on him. Qui-Gon re-entered the shop just as Jar Jar pulled apart from a large stack and sent the entire arrangement tumbling to the floor. His efforts at correcting the problem brought a second display crashing down as well. The boy and the queen's handmaiden were deep in discussion, paying no attention to the Gungan. We're leaving, Qui-Gon announced to the girl, moving toward the shop's entry, the R2 unit trundling along behind. Jar Jar was quick to follow, anxious to escape his latest mess. Padme gave the boy a warm smile. ''I'm glad I met you, Anakin,'' she said, turning after them. ''I'm glad I met you, too,'' he called after, a reluctance evident in his voice. Watto flew in from the salvage yard, shaking his head in disgust. ''Outlanders, they think because we live so far from everything, we know nothing.'' Anakin was still staring longingly after Padme, his gaze fixed on the empty doorway. They seemed nice enough to me. Watto snorted and flew into his face. Clean up of this mess, then you can go home. Anakin brightened, gave a small cheer, and went quickly to work. Qui Gon led his companions back through the little plaza of salvage shops toward the main avenue. At a place where two buildings divided to form a shadowed niche, the Jedi Master moved everyone from view and brought out his Comlink from beneath his poncho. Padme and the R2 unit stood waiting patiently, but Jar Jar prowled the space as if trapped, eyes fixed nervously on the busy street. When Obi Wan responded to the Comlink's pulse, Qui Gon quickly filled him in on the situation. "'Are you sure there isn't anything of value left on board?' he concluded. "'There was a pause at the other end. "'A few containers of supplies, the Queen's wardrobe, some jewellery, maybe. "'Not enough for you to barter with. "'Not in the amounts you're talking about.' "'All right,' Qui-Gon responded with a frown. "'Another solution will present itself. I'll check back.' "'He tucked the comlink beneath his poncho and signalled to the others.' He was moving toward the street again, when Jar Jar grabbed his arm. No again, sire, the Gungan pleaded. The being's hereabouts crazy nuts. We gon' be robbed and crunched. Not likely, Qui-Gon replied with a sigh, freeing himself. We have nothing of value. That's our problem. They started back down the street, Qui-Gon trying to think what to do next. Padme and Artuditu stayed close as they made their way through the crowds, but Jar Jar began to lag behind, distracted by all the strange sights and smells. They were passing an outdoor café, its tables occupied by a rough-looking bunch of aliens, among them a dug who was holding forth on the merits of pod racing. Jar Jar hurried to catch up to his companions, but then caught sight of a string of frogs hanging from a wire in front of a nearby stall. The Gungan slowed, his mouth watering. He had not eaten in some time. He glanced around to see if anyone was looking, then unfurled his long tongue and snapped up one of the frogs. The frog disappeared into Jar Jar's mouth in the blink of an eye. Unfortunately, the frog was still securely tied to the wire. Jar Jar stood there, the wire hanging out of his mouth, unable to move. The vendor in charge of the stall rushed out. Hey, that will be seven Trugats! Jar jar glanced frantically down the street for his companions, but they were already out of sight in desperation. He let go of the frog. the frog popped out of his mouth as if catapulted, winging away at the end of the taut wire. It ricocheted this way and that, breaking free at last to land directly in the dug's soup, splashing gooey liquid all over him. The gangly dug leapt to his feet in fury, catching sight of the hapless jar jar as he tried to move away from the frog vendor. Springing across the table on all fours, he was on top of the Gungan in an instant, grabbing him by the throat. "Chuba! you!" the Dug snarled through its corded snout. Feelers and mandibles writhed. "Is this yours?" The Dug shoved the frog in the Gungan's face, threateningly. Jar Jar could not get any words out, gasping for breath, fighting to break free. His eyes rolled wildly as he looked for help that wasn't there. Other creatures pushed forward to surround him, Rodians among them. The dug threw Jar Jar to the ground, shouting at him, hovering over him in a crouch. Desperately, the gungan tried to scramble to safety. No, no, he moaned plaintively as he sought an avenue of escape. Why me always the one? Because you're afraid, a voice answered calmly. Anakin Skywalker pushed his way through the crowd coming up to stand next to the dug the boy seemed unafraid of the creature undeterred by the hard-eyed crowd his bearing self-assured he gave the dug an appraising look Chesko, Sabulba, he said careful, this one's very well connected Sabulba turned to face the boy cruel face twisting with disdain as he caught sight of the newcomer Tunirana Dunco, Shag he snapped, demanding to know what the boy meant. Anakin shrugged. Connected, as in hut. The blue eyes fixed the dug and saw a hint of fear in the other's face. Big time connected this one, Sebulba. I'd hate to see you diced before we had a chance to race again. The dug spit in fury. Nick next time we race, Wermo, it would be the end of you. He gestured violently: "Oo ton notu, wushag!" If you weren't a slave I'd squash you here and now!" With a final glare at the cringing Jar Jar, Sabulba wheeled away, taking his companions with him, back to their tables and their food and drink. Anakin stared after the dug. "Yeah, it'd be a pity if you had to pay for me," he said softly. He was helping Jar Jar back to his feet when Qui-Gon, Padme, and r 2 having finally missed the Gungan, reappeared hurriedly through the crowd. ''Hi,'' he greeted cheerfully, ''happy to see Padme again so soon. ''Your buddy here was about to be turned into orange goo. ''He picked a fight with a dug, an especially dangerous dug.'' ''No, sir, no, sir,'' the chagrined Gungan insisted, brushing off dust and sand. ''Me hate crunchin." "'Tis the last thing me want.' Qui-Gon gave Jar-Jar a careful once-over, glanced around at the crowd, and took the Gungan by the arm. "'Nevertheless, the boy saved you from a beating. You have a penchant for finding trouble, Jar-Jar.' He gave Anakin a short nod. "'Thank you, my young friend.' Padmé gave Anakin a warm smile as well, and the boy felt himself blush with pride. Me doing nothing, Jar Jar insisted, still trying to defend himself, hands gesturing for emphasis. You were afraid, the boy told him, looking up at the long-billed face solemnly. Fear attracts the fearful. sibulba was trying to overcome his fear by squashing you. He cocked his head at the Gungan. You can help yourself by being less afraid. And that works for you? Padme asked skeptically. Giving him a wry look. Anakin smiled and shrugged. Well, up to a point. Anxious to spend as much time as possible with the girl, he persuaded the group to follow him a short distance down the street to a fruit stand, a ramshackle affair formed by a makeshift ragged awning stretched over a framework of bent poles. Boxes of brightly colored fruit were arranged on a rack tilted toward the street for viewing. A weathered old lady, grey-haired and stooped, her simple clothing patched and worn, rose from a stool to greet them on their approach. "'How are you feeling today, Jira?' Anakin asked her, giving her a quick hug. The old lady smiled. "'The heat's never been kind to me, you know, Annie.' "'Guess what?' the boy replied quickly, beaming. "'I found that cooling unit I've been searching for.' it's pretty beat up but I'll have it fixed up for you in no time, I promise that should help Jira reached out to brush his pink cheek with her wrinkled hand her smile broadening you're a fine boy, Annie Anakin shrugged off the compliment and began scanning the fruit display I'll take four pallies, Jira he glanced at Padme eagerly you'll like these He reached into his pocket for the trugats he had been saving, but when he brought them out to pay Jira, he dropped one. The farmer, standing next to him, bent to retrieve it. As he did, his poncho opened just far enough that the boy caught sight of the lightsaber hanging from the belt about his waist. The boy's eyes went wide, but he masked his surprise by focusing on the coins. He only had three, he found. Whoops, I thought I had more, he said quickly, not looking up. Uh, Make that three pallies, Jira. I'm not that hungry anyway. The old woman gave Qui-Gon, Padme, and Jar Jar their pallies and took the coins from Anakin. A gust of wind whipped down the street, rattling the framework of poles and causing the awning to billow. A second gust sent dust swirling in all directions. Jira rubbed her arms with her gnarled hands. "'Gracious, my bones are aching. "'There's a storm coming, Annie. "'You'd better get home quick.' "'The wind gusted in a series of sharp blasts "'that sent sand and loose debris flying. "'Anakin glanced at the sky, then at Qui-Gon. "'Do you have shelter?' he asked. "'The Jedi Master nodded. "'We'll head back to our ship. "'Thank you again, my young friend, for... "'Is your ship far?' the boy interrupted hurriedly. All around them, shopkeepers and vendors were closing and shuttering windows and doors, carrying goods and wares inside, wrapping coverings over displays and boxes. ''It's on the city's outskirts,'' Padme answered, turning away from the stinging gusts of sand. Anakin took her hand quickly, tugging on it. ''You'll never reach the outskirts in time. Sandstorms are very, very dangerous.'' ''Come with me. You can wait it out at my home. It's not far. My mom won't mind. Hurry!'' With the wind howling all about them and the air clouded with sand, Anakin Skywalker shouted goodbye to Jira and led his newly adopted charges down the street in a rush. On the outskirts of Mos Espa, Obi-Wan Kenobi stood near the nose of the Nubian as the wind gathered force, whipping at his robe, tearing across the broad expanse of the Tatooine desert. His troubled eyes looked off into the distance where Mos Espo was beginning to disappear behind a curtain of sand. He turned as Captain Panaka came down the ramp of the transport to join him. ''This storm's going to slow them down,'' the Jedi observed worriedly. Panaka nodded. ''It looks pretty bad. We'd better seal up the ship before it gets any worse.'' It was a beat from the soldier's comlink. Panaka retrieved the communicator from his belt. Yes? Rick Oli's voice rose from the speaker. We're receiving a message from home. Panaka and Obi Wan exchanged glances. We'll be right there, the captain advised. They went up the ramp quickly, sealing it behind them. The transmission had been received in the Queen's chambers. At Ricoli's direction, they found Amidala and her handmaidens, Erte and Rabe, viewing a hologram of C.O. Bibble that was shimmering weakly at one end of the room, the governor's voice breaking up in transmission. "'Cut off all our food supplies until you return. Death toll rising. Catastrophic. Must bow to their wishes, your highness.' C.O. Bibble's image and voice faded and returned, garbled still." Please, I beg of you, tell us what to do. If you can hear me, your highness, you must contact me. The transmission flickered and disappeared. The governor's voice faded into silence. Queen Amidala sat staring at the empty space it left behind, her smooth face troubled. Her hands worked quietly in her lap, betraying a nervousness she could not quite manage to hide. Her gaze shifted to Obi-Wan. The Jedi shook his head quickly. It is a trick. Send no reply, Your Highness. Send no transmission of any kind. The Queen stared at him uncertainly for a moment, then nodded in acquiescence. Obi-Wan left her chambers without further comment, hoping fervently he had made the right decision. 10. 10. The sandstorm raged through the streets of Mos Espa in a blinding, poking whirlwind that tore at clothes and exposed skin with relentless force. Anakin held Padme's hand so as not to lose her, the farmer, the amphibious creature, and the R2 unit trailing behind, fighting to reach his home in the city's slave quarters while there was still time. Other residents and visitors struggled past, engaged in a similar pursuit— Heads lowered, faces covered, bodies bent over as if weighted by age. Somewhere in the distance, an Eopee bawled in fright. The light turned an odd yellowish-gray, obscured by sand and grit, and the buildings of the city disappeared in a deep, impenetrable haze. Even as he fought his way through the storm, Anakin's thoughts were directed elsewhere. He was thinking of Padme, of having the chance to take her home to meet his mother— of being able to show her his projects, of holding her hand some more. It sent a flush through him that was both warm and kind of scary. It made him feel good about himself. He was thinking of the farmer, too, if that's what he was, which Anakin was pretty sure he wasn't. He carried a lightsaber, and only Jedi carried lightsabers. It was almost too much to hope for, that a real Jedi might be going to his home to visit him but Anakin's instincts told him he was not mistaken and that something mysterious and exciting had brought this little group to him he was thinking finally of his dreams and his hopes for himself and his mother thinking that maybe something wonderful would come out of this unexpected encounter something that would change his life forever they reached the slave quarters a jumbled collection of hovels stacked one on top of the other so that they resembled anthills each complex linked by common walls and switchback stairways, the plaza fronting them almost empty as the sandstorm chased everyone under cover. Anakin led his charges through the gritty gloom to his front door and pushed his way inside. Mom, Mom, I'm home! he called excitedly. Adobe walls, whitewashed and scrubbed, glimmered softly in a mix of storm clouded sunlight admitted through small arched windows and a diffuse electric glow from ceiling fixtures. They stood in the main room, a smallish space dominated by a table and chairs. A kitchen occupied one wall, and a workspace another. Openings led to smaller nooks and sleeping rooms. Outside the wind howled past the doors and windows, shaving a fresh layer of skin from the exterior of the walls. Jar Jar Binks looked around with a mix of curiosity and relief. "'It is cozy,' he murmured. Anakin's mother entered from a work area off to one side, brushing her hands on her dress. She was a woman of forty, her long brown hair tied back from her worn face, her clothing rough and simple. She had been pretty once, and Anakin would say she was pretty still, but time and the demands of her life were catching up with her. Her smile was warm and youthful as she greeted her son, but it faded quickly as she caught sight of the people behind him. Oh my! She exclaimed softly, glancing uncertainly from face to face. Annie, what's this? Anakin beamed. These are my friends, Mom. He smiled at Padme. This is Padme Naberry, and this is. He stopped. Gee, I guess I don't know any of your names, he admitted. Qui-Gon stepped forward. ''I'm Qui-Gon Jinn, and this is Jar Jar Binks.'' He indicated the Gungan, who made a sort of fluttering gesture with his hands. The R2 unit made a small beep. ''And our droid, R2-D2,'' Padme finished. ''I'm building a droid,'' Anakin announced quickly, anxious to show Padme his project. ''You want to see?'' ''Anakin!'' His mother's voice stopped him in his tracks. Resolve tightened her features anakin why are they here he looked at her confused there's a sandstorm mom listen she glanced at the door then out the windows the wind howled past a river of sand and grit your son was kind enough to offer us shelter qui-gon explained we met at the shop where he works Come on, Anakin insisted, grabbing Padme's hand once more. Let me show you my droid. He led Padme toward his bedroom, already beginning a detailed explanation of what he was doing. The girl followed without arguing, listening attentively. R2-D2 went with them, beeping in response to the boy's words. Jar Jar stayed where he was, still looking around, appearing to want someone to tell him what to do. Qui-Gon stood facing the boy's mother in awkward silence. Grains of sand beat against the thick glass of the windows with a rapid pocking sound. I'm Shmi Skywalker, she said, holding out her hand. Anakin and I are pleased to have you as our guests. Qui-Gon had already appraised the situation and determined what was needed. He reached under his poncho and pulled five small capsules from a pouch in his belt. I know this is unexpected. Take these. There's enough food for a meal. She accepted the capsules. Thank you. Her eyes lifted and lowered again. Thank you very much. I'm sorry if I was abrupt. I'll never get used to Anakin's surprises, I guess. He's a very special boy, Qui-Gon offered. Shmi's eyes lifted again, and the look she gave him... "'suggested they shared an important secret. "'Yes,' she said softly. "'I know.' "'In his bedroom, Anakin was showing Padme C-3PO. "'The droid lay on his workbench, deactivated at the moment "'because the boy was in the process of fabricating its metal skin. "'He had completed the internal wiring, "'but its torso, arms, and legs were still bare of any covering.' One eye was out of its head as well, lying nearby where he had left it after tightening down the visual refractor the night before. Padme bent over his shoulder, studying the droid carefully. Isn't he great? Anakin asked eagerly, anxious for her reaction. He's not finished yet, but he will be soon. He's wonderful, the girl answered, genuinely impressed. The boy flushed with pride. You really like him? He's a protocol droid. "'To help Mom. Watch.' He activated C-3PO with a flip of its power switch, and the droid sat up at once. Anakin rushed around hurriedly, searching, then snatched up the missing eye from his workbench and snapped it into its proper socket. C-3PO looked at them. "'How do you do? I am a protocol droid trained in and adept at cyborg relatives, customs, and humans.' "'Oops!' "'Anakin said quickly. "'He's a little confused.' "'He snatched up a long-handled tool "'with an electronic designator "'and fitted it carefully to a port in C-3PO's head, "'then ratcheted the handle several turns, "'studying the setting as he did so. "'When he had it where he wanted, "'he pushed a button on the handle. "'C-3PO jerked several times in response. "'When Anakin removed the designator, "'the droid stood up from the workbench "'and faced Padme.' How do you do? I am C-3PO, Human-Cyborg Relations. How may I serve you? Anakin shrugged. I just named him the other day, but I forgot to enter the code in his memory bank so he could tell you himself. Padme grinned at Anakin, delighted. He's perfect. R-2-D-2 sidled up to them and emitted a sharp flurry of beeps and whistles. C-3PO glanced down curiously. I beg your pardon, what do you mean I'm naked? r 2 beeped some more. Goodness, how embarrassing! C-3PO glanced quickly over his skeletal limbs. My parts are showing, my goodness! Anakin pursed his lips. Sort of, but don't worry, I'll fix that soon enough. He eased the droid back toward the workbench, glancing over his shoulder at Padme. Padme. When the storm is over, you can see my racer. I'm building a pod racer, but Watto doesn't know about it. It's a secret. Padme smiled. That's okay. I'm very good at keeping secrets. The storm continued throughout the remainder of the day, engulfing Mos Espa, sand blown in from the desert, piling up against the shuttered buildings, forming ramps against doorways and walls clouding the air and shutting out the light. Shmi Skywalker used the food capsules Qui-Gon had given her to prepare dinner for them. As she worked on their meal, and while Padme was occupied with Anakin in the other room, Qui-Gon moved off alone into one corner and surreptitiously contacted Obi-Wan on the comlink. The connection was less than perfect, but they were able to communicate sufficiently for the Jedi Master to learn of the transmission from Naboo. ''You made the right choice, Obi-Wan,'' he assured his young protégé, keeping his voice low. ''The Queen is very upset,'' the other advised, his response crackling through the storm. Qui-Gon glanced over to where Shmi was standing at the cook's surface. Her back turned. ''That transmission was bait to establish a trace. ''I'm certain of it.'' ''But what if Governor Bibble is telling the truth and the Naboo are dying?'' Qui-Gon sighed. Either way, we're running out of time, he advised quietly, and ended the transmission. They sat down to eat Shmi's dinner a short while after the storm, still howling without, an eerie backdrop of sound against the silence within. Qui-Gon and Padme occupied the ends of the table, while Anakin, Jar Jar, and Shmi sat at its sides. Anakin, in the way of small boys began talking about life as a slave, in no way embarrassed to be doing so, thinking of it only as a fact of his life and anxious to share himself with his new friends. Shmi, more protective of her son's station, was making an effort to help their guests appreciate the severity of their situation. All slaves have transmitters placed inside their bodies, Schmi was explaining. I've been working on a scanner to try to locate them, but so far no luck. Anakin said solemnly. Shmi smiled. Any attempt at escape? And they blow you up, the boy finished. Poof! Jar Jar had been slurping contentedly at his soup, listening with half an ear as he devoured the very tasty broth. He overdid it on hearing this, however, making such a loud noise that he stopped conversation altogether. All eyes turned on him momentarily, he lowered his head in embarrassment and pretended not to see Padme looked back at Shmi I can't believe slavery is still permitted in the galaxy the Republic's anti-slavery laws should the Republic doesn't exist out here Shmi interrupted quickly her voice hard we must survive on our own there was an awkward silence as Padme looked away not knowing what else to say Have you ever seen a Padres? Anakin asked, trying to ease her discomfort. Padme shook her head no. She glanced at Shmi, noting the sudden concern on the woman's lined face. Jar Jar launched his tongue at a morsel of food nestled deep in a serving bowl at the far end of the table, deftly plucking it out, drawing it in, swallowing it, and smacking his lips in satisfaction. A disapproving look from Qui-Gon quickly silenced him. They have pod racing on Malastare, the Jedi Master observed. Very fast, very dangerous. Anakin grinned. I'm the only human who can do it. A sharp glance from his mother wiped the grin from his face. Mom, what? I'm not bragging. It's true. Watto says he's never heard of a human doing it. Qui-Gon studied him carefully. You must have Jedi reflexes if you race pods. Anakin smiled broadly at the compliment. Jar Jar's tongue snaked toward the serving bowl in an effort to snare another morsel, but this time Qui-Gon was waiting. His hand moved swiftly, and in a heartbeat he had secured the Gungan's tongue between his thumb and forefinger. Jar Jar froze, his mouth open, his tongue held fast, his eyes wide. Don't. Do that again, Qui-Gon advised, an edge to his soft voice. Jar-Jar tried to say something, but it came out an unintelligible mumble. Qui-Gon released the Gungan's tongue, and it snapped back into place. Jar-Jar massaged his billed mouth ruefully. Anakin's young face lifted to the older man's, and his voice was hesitant. "I, I... I was wondering something... Qui-Gon nodded for him to continue. The boy cleared his throat, screwing up his courage. You're a Jedi Knight, aren't you? There was a long moment of silence as the man and the boy stared at each other. What makes you think that? Qui-Gon asked finally. Anakin swallowed. I saw your lightsaber. Only Jedi Knights carry that kind of weapon. Qui-Gon continued to stare at him, then leaned back slowly in his chair and smiled. Perhaps I killed a Jedi and stole it from him. Anakin shook his head quickly. I don't think so. No one can kill a Jedi. Qui-Gon's smile faded, and there was a hint of sadness in his dark eyes. I wish that were so. I had a dream I was a Jedi, the boy said quickly, anxious to talk about it now. I came back here and freed all the slaves. I dreamed it just the other night when I was out in the desert. He paused, his young face expectant. Have you come to free us? Qui-Gon Jinn shook his head. No, I'm afraid not. He trailed off, hesitating. I think you have the boy insisted, defiance in his eyes. Why else would you be here? Shmi was about to say something, to chastise her son for his impudence, perhaps, but Qui-Gon spoke first, leaning forward conspiratorially. I can see there's no fooling you, Anakin, but you mustn't let anyone know about us. We're on our way to Coruscant, the central system in the Republic, on a very important mission." It must be kept secret. Anakin's eyes widened. Coruscant! Wow! How did you end up out here on the outer rim? Our ship was damaged, Padme answered him. We're stranded here till we can repair it. I can help, the boy announced quickly, anxious to be of service to them. I can fix anything. Qui-Gon smiled at his enthusiasm. I believe you can, but our first task, as you know from our visit to Watto's shop, is to acquire the parts we need. With nothing to trade, Jar Jar pointed out sourly. Padme was looking at Qui Gon speculatively. These junk dealers must have a weakness of some kind. Gambling, Schmi said at once. She rose and began clearing the table of dishes. Everything in Mos Espa revolves around betting on those awful pod races. Quigon rose, walked to the window, and stared out through the thick diffuse glass at the clouds of wind blown sand. Pod racing, he mused. Greed can be a powerful ally if it's used properly. Anakin leapt to his feet. I've built a racer, he declared triumphantly. His boy's face shone with pride. It's the fastest ever. There's a big race day after tomorrow, on Bunta Eve. You could enter my pod. It's all but finished. Anakin, settle down, his mother said sharply, cutting him short. Her eyes were bright with concern. Watto won't let you race. Watto doesn't have to know the racer is mine, the boy replied quickly, his mind working through the problem. He turned back to Qui-Gon. You could make him think it was yours. You could get him to let me pilot it for you. The Jedi Master had caught the look in Shmee's eyes. He met her gaze, silently acknowledged her consternation, and waited patiently for her response. I don't want you to race, Annie, his mother said quietly. She shook her head to emphasize her words. Weariness and concern reflected in her eyes. It's awful, ''I'd die every time Watto makes you do it, every time.'' Anakin bit his lip. ''But, Mom, I love it.'' He gestured at Qui-Gon. ''And they need my help. They're in trouble. The prize money would more than pay for the parts they need.'' Jar Jar Binks nodded in support. ''We in kind of bad goo.'' Qui-Gon walked over to Anakin and looked down at him. Your mother's right. Let's drop the matter. He held the boy's gaze for a moment, then turned back to his mother. Do you know of anyone friendly to the Republic who might be able to help us? Shmi stood silent and unmoving as she thought the matter through. She shook her head no. We have to help them, Mom, Anakin insisted, knowing he was right about this that he was meant to help the Jedi and his companions. Remember what you said? You said the biggest problem in the universe is that no one helps anyone. Shmi sighed. Anakin, don't. But you said it, Mom. The boy refused to back down, his eyes locked on hers. Shmi Skywalker made no response this time. Her brow furrowed, her body still. I'm sure Qui-Gon doesn't want to put your son in danger, Padmé said suddenly, uncomfortable with the confrontation they had brought about between mother and son, trying to ease the tension. We will find another way. Shmi looked over at the girl and shook her head slowly. No, Annie's right. There is no other way. I may not like it, but he can help you. She paused. "'Maybe he was meant to help you.' "'She said it as if coming to a conclusion "'that had eluded her until now, "'as if discovering a truth that, while painful, was obvious.' "'Anakin's face lit up. "'Is that a yes?' "'He clapped his hands in glee. "'That is a yes!' Night blanketed the vast cityscape of Coruscant, cloaking the endless horizon of gleaming spires in deep velvet layers. Lights blazed from windows, bright pinpricks against the black. As far as the eye could see, as far as a being could travel, the city's buildings jutted from the planet's surface in needles of steel alloy and reflective glass. Long ago the city had consumed the planet with its bulk, and now there was only the city, the center of the galaxy, the heartbeat of the Republic's rule. A rule that some were intending to end once and for all. A rule that some despised. Darth Sidious stood high on a balcony overlooking Coruscant, his concealing black robes making him appear as if he were a creature produced by the night. He stood facing the city, his eyes directed at its lights, at the faint movement of its air traffic, disinterested in his apprentice, Darth Maul, who waited to one side. His thoughts were of the Sith and of the history of their order. The Sith had come into being almost two thousand years ago. They were a cult given over to the dark side of the Force, embracing fully the concept that power denied was power wasted. A rogue Jedi knight had founded the Sith, a singular dissident in an order of harmonious followers, a rebel who understood from the beginning that the real power of the Force lay not in the light but in the dark. Failing to gain approval for his beliefs from the Council, he had broken with the Order, departing with his knowledge and his skills, swearing in secret that he could bring down those who had dismissed him. He was alone at first, but others from the Jedi Order who believed as he did and who had followed him in his study of the Dark Side soon came over. Others were recruited, and soon the ranks of the Sith swelled to more than fifty in number. Disdaining the concepts of cooperation and consensus, Relying on the belief that acquisition of power in any form lends strength and yields control, the Sith began to build their cult in opposition to the Jedi. Theirs was not an order created to serve; theirs was an order created to dominate. Their war with the Jedi was vengeful and furious and ultimately doomed. The rogue Jedi who had founded the Sith Order was its nominal leader, but his ambition excluded any sharing of power. His disciples began to conspire against him and each other almost from the beginning, so that the war they instigated was as much with each other as with the Jedi. In the end, the Sith destroyed themselves. They destroyed their leader first, then each other. What few survived the initial bloodbath were quickly dispatched by watchful Jedi. In a matter of only weeks, all of them died. All but one. Darth Maul shifted impatiently. The younger Sith had not yet learned his master's patience. That would come with time and training. It was patience that had saved the Sith Order in the end. It was patience that would give them their victory now over the Jedi. The Sith, who had survived when all of his fellows had died, had understood that. He had adopted patience as a virtue when the others had forsaken it. He had adopted cunning, stealth, and subterfuge as the foundation of his way, old Jedi virtues the others had disdained. He stood aside while the Sith tore at each other like cricks and were destroyed. When the carnage was complete, he went into hiding biding his time, waiting for his chance. When it was believed all of the Sith were destroyed, he emerged from his concealment. At first he worked alone, but he was growing old and he was the last of his kind. Eventually he went out in search of an apprentice. Finding one, he trained him to be a master in his turn, then to find his own apprentice, and so to carry on their work. But there would only be two at any one time. There would be no repetition of the mistakes of the old Order, no struggle between Siths warring for power within the Cult. Their common enemy was the Jedi, not each other. It was for their war with the Jedi they must save themselves. The Sith who reinvented the Order called himself Darth Bane. A thousand years had passed since the Sith were believed destroyed, and the time they had waited for had come at last. Tatooine is sparsely populated. His students' rough voice broke into his thoughts, and Darth Sidious lifted his eyes to the hologram. The Hutts rule. The Republic has no presence. If the trace was correct, Master, I will find them quickly and without hindrance." The yellow eyes glimmered with excitement and anticipation in the strange mosaic of Darth Maul's face as he waited impatiently for a response. Darth Sidious was pleased. ''Move against the Jedi first, he advised softly. ''You will then have no difficulty taking the Queen back to Naboo, where she will sign the treaty.'' Darth Maul exhaled sharply. ''Satisfaction'' permeated his voice. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have our revenge. You have been well trained, my young apprentice, Darth Sidious soothed. The Jedi will be no match for you. It is too late for them to stop us now. Everything is going as planned. The Republic will soon be in my control. In the silence that followed, the Sith Lord could feel a dark heat rise inside his chest and consume him with a furious pleasure. In the home of Anakin Skywalker, Qui-Gon Jinn stood silently at the doorway of the boy's bedroom and watched him sleep. His mother and Padmé occupied the other bedroom, and Jar Jar Binks was curled up on the kitchen floor in a fetal position, snoring loudly but Qui-Gon could not sleep it was this boy this boy there was something about him the Jedi Master watched the soft rise and fall of his chest as he lay locked in slumber unaware of Qui-Gon's presence the boy was special he had told Shmi Skywalker and she had agreed she knew it too she sensed it as he did Anakin Skywalker was different. Qui-Gon lifted his gaze to a darkened window. The storm had subsided, the wind abated. It was quiet without, the night soft and welcoming in its peace. The Jedi Master thought for a moment on his own life. He knew what they said about him at Council. He was willful, even reckless, in his choices. He was strong, but he dissipated his strength on causes that did not merit his attention. But rules were not created solely to govern behavior. Rules were created to provide a roadmap to understanding the Force. Was it so wrong for him to bend those rules when his conscience whispered to him that he must? The Jedi folded his arms over his broad chest. The Force was a complex and difficult concept. The Force was rooted in the balance of all things, and every movement within its flow risked an upsetting of that balance. A Jedi sought to keep the balance in place, to move in concert to its pace and will. But the Force existed on more than one plane, and achieving mastery of its multiple passages was a lifetime's work. "'or more. "'He knew his own weakness. "'He was too close to the life-force, "'when he should have been more attentive to the unifying force. "'He found himself reaching out to the creatures of the present, "'to those living in the here and now. "'He had less regard for the past or the future, "'to the creatures that had or would occupy those times and spaces.' It was the life force that bound him, that gave him heart and mind and spirit. So it was he empathized with Anakin Skywalker in ways that other Jedi would discourage, finding in this boy a promise he could not ignore. Obi-Wan would see the boy and Jar Jar in the same light, useless burdens, pointless projects, unnecessary distractions. Obi-Wan was grounded in the need to focus on the larger picture, on the unifying force. He lacked Qui-Gon's intuitive nature. He lacked his teacher's compassion for and interest in all living things. He could not see the same things Qui-Gon saw. Qui-Gon sighed. This was not a criticism, only an observation. Who was to say that either of them was the better for how they interpreted the demands of the force? But it placed them at odds sometimes, and more often than not it was Obi-Wan's position the Council supported, not Qui-Gon's. It would be that way again, he knew, many times. But this would not deter him from doing what he believed he must. He would know the truth about Anakin Skywalker. He would discover his place in the Force, both living and unifying he would learn who this boy was meant to be. Minutes later, he was stretched out on the floor, asleep. Eleven The new day dawned bright and clear, Tatooine's twin suns blazing down out of a clear blue sky. The sandstorm had moved on to other regions... "'sweeping the landscape clean of everything but the mountains "'and rocky outcroppings of the desert and the buildings of Mos Espa. "'Anakin was up and dressed before his guests stirred awake, "'eager to get to the shop and advise Watto of his plan for the upcoming Padres. "'Quigon warned him not to be too eager in making his suggestion to the Toydarian, "'but to stay calm and let Qui-gon handle the bargaining. "'But Anakin was so excited he barely heard what the other was saying.' The Jedi Master knew it would be up to him to employ whatever mix of cunning and diplomacy was required to achieve their ends. Greed was the operative word in dealing with Watto, of course, the key that would open any door the Toydarian kept locked. They walked from the slave quarters through the city to Watto's shop, Anakin leading the way, Qui Gon and Padme close at his heels, Jar Jar and R2D2 bringing up the rear. The city was awake and bustling early, the shopkeepers and merchants shoveling and sweeping away drifts of sand, reassembling stalls and awnings, and riding carts and damaged fences. Eopies and Rontos performed the heavy labor where sleds and droids lacked sufficient muscle. Wagons were already hauling fresh supplies and merchandise from warehouses and storage bins, and the receiving bays of the spaceport were back to welcoming ships from off-planet. Qui-Gon let Anakin go on ahead to the shop as they drew near, in order to give the boy a chance to approach Watto on the subject of the pod races first. With the others in tow, the Jedi Master moved to a food stall across the way, persuaded a vendor to part with a handful of gooey dweezels, and bided his time. When the dweezels were consumed, he moved his group across the plaza to the front of Watto's shop. Jar Jar, already unsettled anew by all the activity, took up a position on a crate near the shop entry, his back to the wall, his eyes darting this way and that in anticipation of something awful befalling him. R2-D2 moved over beside him, beeping softly, trying to reassure him that everything was okay. Qui-Gon told Padme to keep a wary eye on the Gungan. He didn't want Jar Jar getting into any more trouble. He was starting into the shop when the girl put a hand on his arm. ''Are you sure about this?'' she asked doubt mirrored clearly in her brown eyes trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know she wrinkled her smooth brow the queen would not approve Qui-Gon met her gaze squarely the queen does not need to know her eyes blazed defiantly well I don't approve he gave her a questioning look then turned away wordlessly Inside the salvage shop, he found Watto and Anakin engaged in a heated discussion. The Toydarian hovering centimeters from the boy's face, blue wings a blur of motion, snout curled inward as he gestured sharply and purposely with both hands. Pada go bola, He shouted in Huttese. Chubby body jerking with the force of his words. The boy blinked but held his ground. No butter. Piduncle. Watto flitted backward and forward up and down, everything moving at once. Banyo! Banyo! Anakin shouted. Qui-Gon moved out of the shadowed entry and into the light where they could see him clearly. Watto turned away from Anakin at once, toothy mouth working, and flew into Qui-Gon's face in a frenzy of ill-concealed excitement. The boy tells me you want to sponsor him in the race tomorrow. The words exploded out of him. You can't afford parts! How can you afford to enter him in the race? Not on Republic credits, I think. He broke into raucous laughter, but Qui-Gon did not miss the hint of curiosity that gleamed in his slitted eyes. My ship will be the entry fee, the Jedi advised bluntly. He reached beneath his poncho and brought out a tiny projector. Clicking on the power source, he projected a hologram of the Queen's transport into the air in front of Watto. The Toydarian flitted closer, studying the projection carefully. Not bad, not bad. The wrinkled blue proboscis bobbed. A Nubian? It's in good order, except for the parts we need. Qui-Gon gave him another moment, then flicked off the holo-projector and tucked it back beneath his poncho. But what would the boy ride? Watto demanded irritably. He smashed up my part in the last race. It would take too long to fix it for the bunta. Qui-Gon glanced at Anakin, who was clearly embarrassed. Oh, it wasn't my fault, really. Sebulba flashed me with his port fence. I actually saved the pod racer, mostly. Wado laughed harshly. That he did. The boy is good, no doubts there. He shook his head. But still. I have acquired a pod in a game of chance. Qui-Gon interrupted smoothly, drawing the other's attention back to him. The fastest ever built. He did not look at Anakin, but he imagined the expression on the boy's face. ''I hope you didn't kill anyone I know for it,'' Watto snapped. He burst into a new round of laughter before bringing himself under control again. ''So, you supply the sir and the entry fee. I supply the boy.'' We split the winnings fifty-fifty, I think. Fifty-fifty, Qui-Gon brushed the suggestion aside. If it's going to be fifty-fifty, I suggest you front the cost of the entry. If we win, you keep all the winnings minus the cost of the parts I need. If we lose, you keep my ship. Watto was clearly caught by surprise. He thought the matter through, hand rubbing at his snout, wings beating the air with a buzzing sound. The offer was too good, and he was suspicious. Out of the corner of his eye, Qui-Gon saw Anakin glance over at him nervously. Either way, you win, Qui-Gon pointed out softly. Watto pounded his fist into his open palm. Deal! He turned to the boy, chuckling. Your friend makes a foolish bargain, boy. Better teach him what you know about how to deal for goods. He was still laughing as Qui-Gon left the shop. The Jedi Master collected Padme, Jar Jar, and R2-D2, and left word for Anakin to join them as soon as Watto would free him up to work on the pod racer. Since Watto was more interested in the upcoming race than in managing the shop, he dismissed the boy at once, with instructions to make certain the racer he would be driving was a worthy contender— and not some piece of space junk that would cause everyone to laugh at the Toydarian for his foolish decision to enter it in the first place. As a result, Anakin was home almost before Qui-Gon and the others, eagerly leading them to where his project was concealed in the slave quarter boneyards. The podracer was shaped like a narrow half-cylinder, with a rudder skid attached to its flat bottom, a cockpit carved into its curved top, and steering arms attached at its sides. Sleek radon-Ulzer fighting engines with scoop-air stabilizers towed the pod at the end of Steelton cables. The effect was something like seeing a dupe-bug attached to a pair of Banthas. Working together, the company activated the anti-grav lifts and guided the pod and its enormous engines into the courtyard in back of Anakin's home. With Padme, Jar Jar, and R2-D2 lending assistance and encouragement... The boy immediately went to work prepping the pod for the upcoming race. While Anakin and his helpers were thus engaged, Qui-Gon mounted the back porch of the Skywalker home, glanced around to make certain he was alone, and switched on the comm-link to contact Obi-Wan. His protege answered immediately, anxious for a report, and Qui-Gon filled him in on what was happening. ''If all goes well, we will have our hyperdrive generator by tomorrow afternoon and be on our way.'' he concluded. Obi-Wan's silence was telling. What if this plan fails, Master? We could be stuck here for a long time. Qui-Gon Jinn looked out over the squalor of the slave quarters and the roofs of the buildings of Mos Espa beyond, the sun's a bright glare overhead. A ship without a power supply will not get us anywhere. We have no choice. He switched off the comlink and tucked it away. And there is something about this boy, he whispered to himself, leaving the thought unfinished. Shmi Skywalker appeared through the back door and moved over to join him. Together they stood watching the activity in the courtyard below. You should be proud of your son, Qui-Gon said after a moment. He gives without any thought of reward. Shmi nodded, a smile flitting over her worn face. "He knows nothing of greed, only of dreams. He has... special powers." The woman glanced at him warily. "Yes... he can see things before they happen," the Jedi Master continued. "That's why he appears to have such quick reflexes. It is a Jedi trait." Her eyes were fixed on him, and he did not miss the glimmer of hope that shone there. He deserves better than a slave's life, she said quietly. Qui-Gon kept his gaze directed out at the courtyard. The force is unusually strong with him, that much is clear. Who was his father? This book is continued on Disc 5.